Let me turn you back to John chapter 6 that we read just a little earlier. Entitled the message tonight, The Will of Christ. And let's unite our heart together as we come uh, to the preaching. That we might seek the Lord's help for it. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee again for Thy presence. Thy presence that makes the feast. And Lord, we thank Thee for Thy presence during the minister's week of prayer last week. And we pray, Lord, that this week we might know that presence again. And that help given in the place of prayer. O God, that Thou would pour out of Thy Spirit upon us. Lord, Thou would set us a-praying as a congregation. And O Father, we might, Lord, truly see the windows of heaven opened upon us, and the blessing of heaven poured out, that there be not room enough to contain it. Father, we thank the Lord we do not pray for something that is impossible. For, Lord, all things are possible with thee. And we pray that thou would pour out of thy spirit, even upon the preaching of the word tonight, and thou would give a listening ear and the receptive heart. Give us help, Lord. Help me, Lord, in the pulpit. Fill me with thy spirit and with power that I might preach as thus. And thus saith the Lord, for we ask these things in our Savior's name. Amen. The Lord knows the heart of every man. There are many evidences of that right throughout the gospel accounts. And again, even in the passage that we've been reading together this evening, You see, the Lord knew the motive behind the people crossing over the sea to get to Capernaum. We've read there a verse that they came and they were seeking for Jesus. I don't want you thinking uh, by reading that that they were seeking salvation. That's not the case. Because you see, the Lord said in verse 26, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves, And were filled. They saw the miracle that had been performed in the feeding of the multitudes. And they had fed upon the bread and upon the fish. And so their desire was more upon the material than it was upon the spiritual. But the Lord used the opportunity even to bring the scriptures to them. And don't forget, of course, men and women, the scriptures that the Savior taught from was the Old Testament. That's all that he had. And in those Old Testament scriptures, they understood that the ancestors of the Israel nation, they were those who received the manna, the bread from heaven, bread fresh from the ovens of heaven every morning during their wilderness wanderings. And the Lord was to remind them of that. He doesn't deny that truth. He doesn't do away with that truth. But instead, He does seek to lift their minds onto the spiritual and onto the heavenly realities. And the reality to these Jews as well as to all who were born of Adam's race is that they needed the spiritual bread if they were to have spiritual life. And that spiritual bread is Christ. And of course the crowd still with their physical material thinking and thought pattern. They said, Lord, evermore give us this bread. They wanted their bellies to be full again. But what they wanted, he would not give. What he offered, they would not receive. Because what the Lord does here is that he proceeds to do 
and to invite them to come unto him. And we're brought, maybe we might say, to one of the greatest verses in all of the scriptures. Maybe the children have learned that in their Sunday school or children's meeting, John 6 and 37, all that the Father giveth to me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. What a verse. What a comfortable consideration. Who would not want to come to Christ upon such a sweet encouragement as that? He'll not turn you away despite your longevity and sin, despite your depravity and sin. You remember how all that were in debt and all that were distressed, they came unto David in the cave of Dullam and he became their captain. Well, here's the greater David before us tonight. And they had seen him, and yet they hadn't believed. And Christ, in teaching this crowd, he reminds them that despite their unbelief, something that didn't surprise the Lord by, but despite their unbelief, it would not prevent God's purposes taking effect. And so he reminds them and he reminds us of his will. Because Christ's will is the will of God as well. My text I bring you to is the verse following, verse 38, where he says, I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Notice there the pre-existence of Christ. We've just passed the time of the year in the calendar where often the incarnation of the Savior is referred to and made much in focus of. You just consider what the Lord was teaching the people here You see, there is the person of the Lord Jesus Christ that is in view. He's called the Son of Man. He's also the Son of God. He's one who uses the great words, I am. That is, of course, a title that you'll find in the Old Testament that is given to God. You remember how God revealed himself to Moses at the burning bush and he said, I am that I am. Here before these people he said what is the first of the distinctive I am's in this gospel. He said I am the bread of life. And he uses such a term because of its simplicity yes but because of its necessity. Christ is to the soul what bread is to the body. It is food. It is necessary. It's necessary to the king as well as the pauper. It's necessary to the young as well as the older. We are all of, uh, all need necessary food for our bodies. And so men and women, it's the same applies spiritually. The greatest necessity of every soul is to have Christ. He is the great supply of all the wants of a man's soul. Whatever our need might be tonight. However starving or weak or famished or desperate your condition or your state is. There's enough in Christ and despair. Speaking as an emblem of himself. He says, I am the true bread. The man in the Old Testament was but a type. You see, the people of Israel had to go out every morning and they had to go the next morning, the next morning for 40 years. But Christ is, is but the anti-type of all of that because the one that tastes and sees that the Lord is good, the one who will feed upon the Lord Jesus Christ shall never hunger again. Oh, men and women, young people, can I ask you tonight, have you tasted and seen that the Lord indeed is good? You've tried the tidbits of this old world 
what others feel they haven't satisfied. But I tell you something, satisfaction is to be found in the Lord Jesus Christ indeed. What does the Savior teach here? He's teaching here of the plan of God. He says, for I came down from heaven. He being God doesn't have a beginning. You and I have. We were uh, teaching the children on Thursday night a little about that. Every one of us have got a date of birth. We have got a, a time where we began in this world. And you know there's a day of their death in this world as well. And God knows that. But God has no beginning. God has no ending. The world was created upon a certain day. Aye, and it will be wrapped up again one day in God's plan. But God never had a start. He always was. And there is a truth that the Savior again makes known in this verse. He came down. And why he came to this earth was because of the great eternal plan of God. He brings us to consider <coughs> really what the Apostle Paul reminded the believers in the church of Galatia about. Galatians 4 and verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth a son. Born of a woman, born under the law, that he might redeem them that were under the law, under the curse of the law. That's why he came. Oh, the mystery of it all. That the Son of God, the Son of Man, should come to this scene of time. And here's the confidence that men and women can have in coming to him. He's not as one who was of ordinary stock. He wasn't one who arose among men to get a following as many self-appointed leaders of this world do today. And invariably, they will disappoint their followers. But Christ reminds them that he came down from heaven. And you see, there is the place that is in focus. He came down from heaven. He's not speaking of geographically coming down from Jerusalem. We come across that many a time in the scriptures, especially when they went down to Jericho because Jerusalem is set up in the heights. But the Lord is not talking about geographically been coming from a city or some other place. He makes that clear by speaking of this particular place. It's heaven that he came down from. For it was in heaven that he dwelt with the Godhead. It was in heaven that he was to be the creator of all things of this world in the space of six days. It's in heaven that the angels continually fall down and worship him. And they cry, holy, holy, holy. It's from heaven that he came down to this earth. And it's to heaven that he ascended up again. It is that place, of course, that we find him speaking about, even in John's Gospel, in John chapter 14, words that have been a comfort to many of our hearts. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. Is it any wonder he said to them at the very beginning, let not your hearts be troubled. He's speaking about heaven. And it's from heaven that he will come back to this earth a second time. <coughs> Here's the one of whom the prophet spoke of. Here's the one of whom they prophesied about should come. And now he's standing before the very crowds of people as the anointed one, as the promised Messiah who should come. And he reveals his pre-existence. He said, for I came down from heaven. 
In John 8, speaking again from those Old Testament scriptures, he said to the crowd that day, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abram was, I am. They couldn't understand it. He didn't look any more than 40 or 50 years of age. And yet he said, before Abram was, I am. There again, we could say that only God could use those words. Only God could say that. And that's how he could perform these great miracles as he did because he is God. He's all power and authority in heaven and in earth. And here's the thing, he's still the same Lord tonight. His character, his attributes are heaven changed. He's still is the eternal God. And what he was in this passage, he still is. For Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and bless God forever. Do you know him tonight? Have you come to him in saving faith? Because that's what he exhorted this crowd to do. To come that day. And I might say tonight, you've seen him. You've seen him in the scriptures. You've heard of him, of his works, and you've heard his words. You've seen him lived out in the lives of your loved ones and family and in friends. But yet yourself have not come. The one who revealed himself before John of old in the book of the Revelation on that Isle of Patmos as the one as Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. His voice is as the sound of many waters. His countenance is as the sun that shineth in his strength. He is the beloved to the Shilamite. He is the one that is head and shoulders above all others. There's none who can uh, come near to him. And the Shulamite in summary simply said, He is altogether lovely. This is my beloved. And this is my friend. Now I'm asking, is he your beloved? Have you got that friend tonight that sticketh closer than any brother? Because having looked at something of the pre-existence of Christ you'll see also the proclamation of Christ here. We know that he came down from heaven, but what to do? Well, that's what the Savior proclaims in the next words. He doesn't come on some independent mission to do anything of his own volition. It's the very opposite. Christ said, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will. And men and women, young people, that pretty much is very, the very opposite of what people are about today. Today it's all about what I can do. I want to live the way I want to live. I want to say what I can say. And people are given over to doing whatever is their will. Every man does that which is right in his own eyes. For they have in Christ as keen in their heart. They have no moral compass because they've set aside the scriptures. And so they just do what feels good. And they do whatever they want to do. That's the day we're in. But Christ says, not my will. Not my will. And does not those words speak to us of being of self-denial? The Savior went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. When he looked at the crowds, we read that he had compassion upon them. 
His whole life was one of serving others. Matthew chapter 20 verse 28 says, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister, or you can read it, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He came not to be served, but to serve. Not to be ministered unto. He denied self. Foxes of holes, the birds of the air of nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay down his head. He denied self and life. Even from his very incarnation where he was born in a mere lowly stable. The will of Christ was in complete conformity and harmony. With to do that of God the Father. As man he did the Father's will. As God he had the same will as the Father. And when it came to death then again it was proclaimed. You remember that scene in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he went but a stone's throw from those three disciples. And they became heavy with sleep. And he prayed. He knew what was about to happen. And he prayed. And his words were, Not my will, but thine be done. Christ giving himself over even to what was before him. He understood the sufferings that he would endure. He understood what was before him in terms of the hands of evil and wicked men taking him and nailing him to the cross and crucifying him. And he denied self. Even though he knew what lay before him in the terms of the suffering, even though he knew what he had to endure and the agonies and the pain that would be meted upon him, how that is far removed from the spirit of this world today where everything is about self. We live in a selfie age. But Christ said, not my will. My friend, these words also speak to me of submission. His life was one of perfect obedience to the will of the Father in heaven. It was only Christ who could save you. Turn over a couple of chapters. John chapter 8. Look at verse 29. He says, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone. Listen. For I do always those things that please him. Only the Lord could say that. There's not a body in this church tonight that could say it. There's not a body in Market Hill could say that tonight. You see, our problem is the word always. Oh, we might do those things that please the Father. We might do those things often that please the Lord. But not always. We fail. We fail. Because the old nature's here, child of God. But Christ could say... I do always those things that please him. And you know that sentiment was heard audibly. To be heard from heaven at least twice. For the Lord God the Father said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He was in submission to the Father's will to leave heaven and the glory he had with the Father. His submission meant him leaving behind the host of angelic beings who fall down before him. His submission meant that he was confined to the womb of a virgin. His submission meant him taking upon himself the body that God had prepared for him and walking amongst men. 
It meant him truly being that one that was despised and rejected. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And he who spoke the very world into being and as sovereign and as keen controlling all things. If he spoke the word, then his very enemies before him would fall. And that was noted in Gethsemane as well where he cried, I am. And they fell down before him. They couldn't stand before the great I am. Yet a submission meant him going the way of the cross. Turning not to the left hand nor to the right. Setting his face as a flint toward Jerusalem. Why don't you just stop and think of that? Flint. Flint is a hard rock. It's inflexible. And that is used deliberately to describe the determination of Christ to go to Calvary. That he might purchase redemption for old sinners like you and me. He set his face as a flint toward Jerusalem. For it was, he was in submission to his heavenly Father. It meant him dying the death of the cursed. It meant him being numbered among the transgressors, the sinless Lamb of God. Oh, men and women, his, his obedience, his submission was impeccable. And my friend, therein lies another reason why you can confidently come to him tonight. He will not fail. Because the proclamation of Christ meant a once for all sacrifice for sin. He had not come the first time to set up a kingdom. Indeed, if you look at this very chapter, you'll see that for yourself. Look at verse 15. <clears throat> when Jesus therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force to make him a king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Now if you come back to Mark chapter 6, I like the way Mark puts it. It's exactly the same portion. It's just after the feeding of the 5,000. And you look at Mark 6 and verse 45, and it says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. That's what we read in the words of verse 15. And yet we read there that the Lord constrained his disciples to get into that boat. He commanded them. You know why? Because he understood what the crowd were about. The crowd were about of the desire to make him a king. And the Lord understood the disciples, those that were walking with him, those that were nearest to him. And they would have Attempted to join in, even with that cry of the crowd that day, had they been there. And so the Lord commands them to get into the boat and to go over them to the other side. If they hadn't obeyed, and just think of how they would have missed out in seeing the power of Christ controlling the very winds and waves. How they would have missed out seeing the Lord walk to them on the water. You see, men and women, here's a wee word for the child of God tonight. Sometimes the Lord prevents us from having our own way and what we think is best. So as to give to us a greater revelation of himself. And surely that was a greater revelation that the disciples saw of the Lord being in the midst of that storm 
in that boat. But the Lord had not come to set up his kingdom. He had come to go to the cross of Calvary to purchase eternal redemption for lost sinners. He's coming again one day in the future to set up his kingdom. And we know that his people shall reign with him. But he came the first time that he might submit himself to death, even the death of the cross, to offer that sacrifice for sin that was acceptable unto God the Father, to satisfy divine justice. And we know that Christ did not offer himself Even reluctantly, it was in total submission. Because we read in John chapter 10 what he said, No man taketh my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. You can trust him tonight. He is the self-sacrificing Savior who gave us all for a lost, guilty mankind. Do you know him? Have you come to him? C.T. Studd grasped it. You know that missionary that went to China? He said, If Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice is too great for me to make for him. And maybe you've read about C.T. Studd, the missionary. Maybe what you don't understand is he left a fortune behind him. He gave it all away. He was a famous English cricketer as well, of course. But he gave away his fortune. That he might go on that boat. That he might go to China. And he might tell others of the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe there's a call of God going out to the child of God tonight. Matthew chapter 16. We, we, we sang it even in that hymn. Verse 24. It says, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. And whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Wonder child of God, will you proclaim the Savior this year by denying self? By being more in submission to his word. What he wants us to do. By laying all on the altar of sacrifice. You know that usually means something. It usually means death. You talk about the altar of sacrifice. And it's dying to self every day. And it's being consecrated more and more unto the Lord. There's the proclamation of Christ. Not to do mine own will. But then you'll notice the provision of Christ. He came not to do his own will, but the will of him that sent me. He came from the Father's presence. He came at the Father's bidding. He came from the Father's house. He came to carry out the Father's will. You be a bit like Joseph. Remember how Joseph was sent out by the Father to go to the brethren in a far off country? He went to the Father's bidding. He left the Father's presence. He went from the Father's house to carry out the Father's will. He's a beautiful type of Christ. And of course he received the same treatment. He was rejected by his own. Just in case you don't know what the will of Christ was or is, the next verses reveal it to us. There's two that are laid out here. His provision is of security. Verse 39, This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I shall lose nothing. But you'd raise it up again at the last day. There's another compelling reason for you to come unto him.
It is that all who are given of the Father, all that come to Christ, shall be safe. You see that the Lord makes it clear that coming to Christ begins with the work of the Father. He's really repeating what he said in that verse 37. All that the Father giveth to me shall come to me. He says in verse 39, This is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me. You have any inclination, desire of coming to Christ tonight, man and woman, young person, I want you to understand, it's given by God. Because salvation is all of the Lord. It's all of the Lord. It's all of God's grace. And the assurance was that all who come to him, he will receive. He will not cast them out. It's still the same tonight. All sorts of people, all whoever they are, for the word is in the neuter tents. The young or the old or the rich or the poor, the noble or the servant. And the will of the Father is that those who come, those who have been given by the Father unto Christ, he says, I shall lose nothing. His provision is one of being eternally secure. What a comfort, what an encouragement. The will of God the Father, the power of Christ the Son means that no one that comes to him will ever be lost. Let that sink into your heart tonight. I will lose nothing. Oh, the true believer will err and the true believer will fall and fail in many ways and many things because we still have that old nature within us warring against the new man. But by virtue of our union with Christ, we shall be raised again on the last day because Christ arose as the firstfruits. Then all who trust in him by faith shall rise also. And you'll note, take time when you go home, there's... He repeats that four times over in these verses. You'll find the second one in verse 40. There's another two after that. He shall raise again them again on the last day. It is the Father's will that his people be with him. And so he will be raised at the last day to a life of glory. How shall that be? Because Christ came to this world. To purchase eternal salvation. He came not to do his own will. But the will of him that sent him. And he did the will of the Father perfectly. And my friend Christ doeth all things well. And so you can confidently come to him. If you haven't already as yet. For to do so is to be eternally secure. Is to leave this your pew tonight. To leave this house tonight saying. It is well with my soul. Christ will never allow one soul given to him to be lost or cast away. He will keep from them safe from grace to glory in spite of the world, in spite of the flesh, in spite of the works of the devil. Not one bone of his mystical body shall ever be broken. Not one lamb of his flock shall ever be left behind in the wilderness. And you know, being in the country, you know what it is for the shepherd to lose his sheep. Christ says, not one shall be lost. I will lose nothing. He will raise to glory the entire flock entrusted to his charge. And so on that great day, the shepherd of his people, he will be able to say, I've lost nothing. 
Not one shall be missing. Are you part of that flock tonight? Are you numbered among the sheep of Christ? You see, the second thing, the will of the Father, which Christ provided, is salvation. Verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Christ not only preserves, but he saves sinners. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the provision of the Father's will was accomplished by Christ when he gave himself to the smiters and when he laid down his life on the cross of Calvary. Do you see the terms of God's salvation? They aren't very difficult. It's just two words. In verse 40, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him. There's the two words. Seeing and believing. Seeing and believing, the only things required. Seeing. Seeing their own fallen condition. Seeing your state tonight, born of Adam's race and sin. Seeing as God the Holy Spirit opens those blinded eyes of yours where your sin is taking you to. Because we've already considered tonight of Christ. He said he came from heaven. He speaks of heaven. And if we believe there's a heaven, listen men and women, you've got to believe there's a hell too. And seeing where your sin is taking you to, it's taking you to that lost eternity in hell in the lake that burneth with fire and brimstone. But seeing that there's one Saviour and seeing the only Savior who became the sin bearer and the sinner's substitute, that's seeing and then believing in him. By faith with all your heart for him to save you from your sin and to take you into union with himself. In this looking, you see, it's more than a mere physical sight. It's a looking by faith upon the person of Christ and the work that he has accomplished on Calvary's cross. And there's a certainty that there's a reference there to the brazen serpent that was lifted up on the pole by Moses. And you remember how God commanded him to lift up that brazen serpent, the people who had been bitten in the camp. If they looked to that serpent, that representation of the one that bit them, then they would live. And Christ makes reference to it in John chapter 3. As the serpent was lifted up, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. He's speaking of his decease. He's speaking of his death on the, on the cross. It's a looking by faith. That's what seeing and believing means. That's how you can be saved tonight. And you can live just as those in the camp of Israel lived when they looked at that brazen serpent because Christ, who knew no sin, yet became sin for us at Calvary. And Christ's will, as is the Father's will, is that you would see and believe. And all who do have the assurance of everlasting life and been raised up on the last day to see him as he is and to be like him. 
know, the sad thing as I close tonight is this. That the Jews didn't believe. How do you know? Well, you read with me verse 36. I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. They had seen the power of Christ. They had seen the preacher of preachers. They had saw his word and his works. But yet, having a knowledge of him, it didn't amount to a saving faith. They didn't believe. And men and women, young people, as I close tonight, make sure you're not part of that verse. For I say again, you've seen the Lord. You've seen the Lord in family and friends. You've seen the Lord in this house. You've heard his word. You've considered his works and his miracles. Make sure you're believing. And I don't mean a head belief. I mean a heart belief. I mean a saving faith belief. That Christ died on the cross for a sinner like me to take away my sin. And to make me whole. You have heard that Christ has accomplished the Father's will perfectly by coming down from heaven so that he might purchase salvation. And so I say tonight there is no reason, no reason whatsoever why you shouldn't heed his call and come unto him. That's what he said before this crowd. He exhorted them to come, that they would never hunger again and believe in him. They would never thirst. I wonder, will you come tonight? As God's Spirit is striving with you. Don't despise that. You can't come to Christ unless the Lord draws you. And he does that by his Holy Spirit. And if God's spirit stops striving, you're as good as damned. That's the solemnity of it. As God's spirit is speaking and convicting of sin, then why not come now as he calls in grace? May the Lord bless his word to each of our hearts tonight. For his only sake, 221 will sing in closing, Come every soul by sin oppressed. There's mercy with the Lord, and he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. 221, page 265. Let's stand as we sing it.
Lord, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee, Lord, for the person of Christ said that he came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And we praise thee for his perfect obedience in going to the cross to purchase eternal salvation, salvation that will wear well, salvation that will last for time and eternity. Thank Lord we can say tonight, Christ said, I will lose nothing. Oh God, we praise the Lord for everyone that's in that fold of God were safe. And yet, Lord, we pray for those yet outside. And we pray, Lord, that they might come through the door, the only door, which is Christ. And tonight, Lord, they would trust him. Thank the Lord you'll save them now. Thy power is still the same. Speak home and the preacher's voice is silent. Part us in thy fear and take us to our homes in safety. Lord, we pray that the best would yet to be. For we ask these things in our Saviour's name. Amen.